Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. During my high school years, we would go with some other classmates as part of my high school up to the Boundary Waters of Canada. And I got to tell you, sometimes we weren't always necessarily with an adult leader. And it was easy to get disorganized and discouraged because most of these teenagers didn't really know what they were doing. We didn't know if we should portage. We didn't know if we should keep canoeing. We didn't know what we should do. You ever been in a situation like that? I'm looking around and I'm like, I see you guys suggesting things, but I'm not confident that you really know what you're doing. That's why it's so important that we always need to go back to the book. We're in a series called Don't Call It a Comeback, and we're beginning with the question, what does the church do? How is it supposed to do it? See, the church does all kinds of things that aren't necessarily profitable. People get all kinds of ideas. Well, the church should be doing this. The church should be doing that. And the problem is it can lead to a lot of ineffective time wasting that's not really a part of the original blueprint that Jesus left us in the book of Acts. That's where we're starting in this series. We're in the book of Acts. What it is, what is it the Acts of? Some people, most people probably think, at least in America, it's the Acts of the Apostles. And there's truth to that. You see the Apostles acting in this book. But it's also true, they never could have done anything without the Spirit of God. He is a central character in this book. But what's also true is, so some would call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of God wouldn't have done anything without the people of Jesus. So maybe one way that we could describe it is to say it is the continuing words and acts of Jesus by His Spirit through His people. Man, that's kind of long, so maybe we'll just keep calling it acts, I guess. But here's what it is. It's a selected description of what happened. Okay, It's also a prescription in its principles, but it's descriptive in its history. What that means, it's really an important distinction because it doesn't mean that everything that happened, we should try to mimic exactly the way that it happened. No, it's just a history saying this is what happened, but here are the eternal spiritual principles that we need to draw from that testimony so we can live out the agenda of Jesus in our day and age. Now, one more thing that's really awesome about the book of Acts, okay? I want you to think about it like a play for a second. This is a play that as you and I watch it, we actually get invited to become actors and come up onto the stage ourselves. One of the most powerful and wonderful things about the book of Acts is that it is a book that invites you to participate in the story. So in this first scripture unit, let's look at the recipient, the tools, the necessity, the confusion, and the mission. Okay, number one is the recipient. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 starts with this. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's going to do a lot more throughout this book, but he began to do and teach. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven. So the first account was the book of Luke. This book of Acts is the sequel. And he's writing to Theophilus. Now scholars debate over it, but... This name, Theophilus, literally means lover of God. So people really don't know, man. People debate about it. But it could just have been anyone. He's writing to people who would love God. At the very least, we know that Luke was writing, the author of Acts, to a Christian who was, 
He was seeking to undergird with the certainty of the things he had been taught according to Luke chapter 1, which is part 1 of the book of Acts. It's Acts is the sequel, Luke is part 1. So this is a study for all who would love God. This book helps us understand what Jesus had in mind for his disciples and how it relates to the things he taught about during his earthly ministry. Acts also marks an ending and a beginning. The ascension, which we'll hear about next week, is the end, but it's also the beginning. Jesus had completed his earthly ministry during his lifetime. He'd finished the work of the atonement, which is his payment for our sins. And then his ascension terminates his earthly ministry and inaugurates his heavenly ministry. So Theophilus is the recipient. God is writing through Luke to Theophilus, really to all of us down through the ages. Let's move on to the tools which Jesus is going to use for the next phase of his kingdom agenda. Number two is tools. Picking it up in verse two, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen... To these he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. What were these proofs? Well, he appeared multiple times over 40 days. So it wasn't like he was just there constantly. He kept coming to them. Now that's a lot of time, 40 days, to verify that claim. Plus there's 11 of them. Remember, okay, so... I mean, you might have been, they might have been, hey man, after the first two days, are we sure this is him? Maybe it's just somebody who looks like him. Maybe somebody's trying to, you know, play a gag on us. But they're like, no, three weeks in, man, I'm sure it's him. Remember, they're eating with him. They're touching him. They're seeing these supernatural signs in his body. He does stuff like he's clearly physical because he can eat and stuff, but he can also like walk through walls. So there's something about his resurrection body. These are proofs that they're like, no, dude, this is the guy. This is the same guy we've been walking with for three years. This is Jesus. And he spoke to them about the kingdom. Now, he'd been speaking to them about the kingdom his entire earthly ministry. Remember, all the parables were about the kingdom. So he's probably reviewing parables with them. He's probably maybe teaching them some new stuff that they're going to need to know. But this passage also alerts us to the kinds of experiences Jesus wants his closest friends to have as they go into the next phase. Notice this. First, he showed himself to them. Verse 3 said, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. Here's the principle. We see more of Jesus by drawing near to him and obeying his commands, but he, he wants to use people that are beholding him. He wants to use people that are seeing him, and we see him more as we obey him. That's why it says in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And check this out and will disclose myself to him. Some translations say, and will manifest myself to him. Jesus says, hey, do you want to see me? Start obeying the things you know, and I'll start to show you myself. And here's why this is really important. It would be unwise for us to try to go do this kingdom program, yet have very little personal experience with Jesus himself. The vision for the New Testament mission is that it is done by people who are seeking and beholding Jesus. Second, he gave them orders. He said in verse 3, he had by the Holy Spirit given orders. They'd sat under his general teaching for three years before he was crucified. Now he's saying, I want you to specifically 
go here and do this. The principle is focus on doing the general will of God and he will start to unveil his specific next steps for you in his kingdom agenda. It's kind of like like a dimmer switch. You have a, a dimmer switch in your apartment or in your room or, or your dining room or something like that. You know, a dimmer switch, you slowly, you can turn up the light and things become more and more clear. It's the same way with God's will. The more we study God's general will in His Word, the more instinctive it tends to become to do His specific will. We start to get more and more light. I pursue the little light that I have as I'm studying God's Word, but suddenly my study of this begins to brighten up the whole place, and I'm seeing more and more of what God wants me to to do. So, how about you? Is it possible that for you and me, we may need to be asking Jesus to show himself to us more? And I mean literally asking him. That means when you start your day saying, Jesus, help me see you today. Oh Lord, there's nothing that could happen to me today that's more important than me seeing you. Oh God, would you help me obey you more today? You've said in your word that obeying you more causes me to see you more. So, help me obey you more so I can see you more. God, there's plenty of stuff that's going to happen, but I'm asking you, help me see more more of Jesus. And Lord, I'm asking for the obedience, like you even just give me the obedience of faith that will help me see more of you. Now third, he promised them the Holy Spirit, and that leads us to the necessity. Here's number three, the necessity. Now this is really important to understand. The teachings of Jesus alone were not enough for God's plan. The apostles were tools, but up to this point, they were tools with no power, but they were power tools. They don't work on their own. They need power. How many know that it doesn't matter what your car has the potential to do if the battery is dead? That tool was designed to be filled with power. So let's pick it up. Verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. The Holy Spirit brings power to do and accomplish God's will in a way that humans alone, just trying to obey Jesus', Jesus commands, could never do. Think about it this way. The Holy Spirit is the last necessary element to make a disciple a witness. Now here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is why anything is working at all in the book of Acts. As we make our way through this book, Luke often makes references to the promise, the baptism, the outpouring, the gift, the witness, the fullness, the power, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is because it would be impossible to explain the progress of the gospel apart from God's Spirit at work in and around his people. Now that's interesting for the church, but why is the Holy Spirit necessary for individuals? Well, Jesus told us in John 14, 16, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That literally means another one like me, that he may be with you forever. My friends, we need the Holy Spirit because we are inherently broken beings. Jesus promised us a helper because he knew you and I would need one. I'll give you an example. My wife has a phone, but I often am the one who has to fix her phone. Her phone can do a whole bunch of stuff, but often until I get involved, 
She just doesn't have, she's so gifted at so many things, but tech is not one of them. There's just things she can't figure out, things the, the, the device is supposed to do, but she can't do it until I get involved and cause it to do what it was designed to do in her life. That's similar to the way the Holy Spirit works in the tools, the body of Christ that he's put together. He's like, man, this is great, but it does not work until the Spirit of God gets involved. All right, let's go to the chat. Now, in the chat or on your screen, tell us about something you love that stopped working because it ran out of power at a very inopportune time. All right, let's check this out because there would have been understandings that first century Jews had about the Holy Spirit that would have been just more instinctive to them than to us. So let's just talk about some things that they would have known. First, the Holy Spirit is for the purpose of growing in holiness. And New Testament folks would have said in Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit in Old Testament times was associated with purification. That's why baptism is a thing. God knows there are ways he's going to want to use us to bring about his kingdom that require a purer vessel. So the Holy Spirit comes on the believer to purify them, to purify their motives and their actions and their prayers and their perspectives. So you and I should be praying, Holy Spirit, purify me, purify how I think about things, purify how I behave, how I act, how I relate. Also, the Holy Spirit helped people in Old Testament times walk in wisdom. The Spirit of God was on people like Solomon, on people like Moses, on people like Elijah to walk in wisdom. And the Spirit of God helps us to walk in the wisdom of Jesus. See, you know this. Jesus accessed wisdom that you and I don't have. If you've ever thought, I wonder what Jesus would do in this particular situation. I bet it would be smarter than what I'm going to do. That's because you recognize that Jesus is wiser than you, and you and I need Jesus' wisdom. See, there's places in the Christian life, in the bringing of the kingdom, where we would do something dumb, and Jesus would do something smart. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, to relay to us and to absorb us in and to teach us and train us in God's wisdom. So we need to regularly pray for a greater fullness of God's wisdom as we face new seasons. Finally, one other purpose in the Old Testament for the Holy Spirit was to cause the ability to prophesy or to speak for God under His inspiration. See, there's going to be situations where we walk in to as kingdom purveyors where we need to know what God would say in this particular situation. That's why we need to regularly pray for spiritual insight, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, to know how is God thinking about this? There's like a human wisdom response, but baby, we had, a, we had enough of that. What I need is to know how God would respond in this situation. Now let's note, this does not come from watching the news or reading social media posts. It comes from reading God's word and asking to discern the times that are in front of me through the lens of how the Bible talks about the world. Have you ever been around someone that just often seemed to have something to say that was full of grace and truth and it, meant it was just the right word for the moment? That someone is probably someone who was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's more than just that they knew the Bible because you've known people who knew the Bible who, man, they were so dry and so shriveled up like some old prune that they didn't see it. Yeah, they knew it, but it wasn't living through them. When we encounter people that are truly speaking the words of God and the timing of God, it's because they're filled with the Spirit of God and He's using them as His mouthpiece. Hey, can I give us all some free advice? Let's quit reacting apart from 
the word. Study how God wants you to behave and let's quit acting ornery and angry when we see things blowing up around us out there in the world. If you're going to weigh in, weigh in with God's words from his word. The Bible says, he whom the Lord has sent speaks the words of God. Don't speak human wisdom. The, the world is way too chaotic right now for just human wisdom. Man, we got plenty of that. And it's still continuing to lead us into a black hole. Speak God's words. What, what this nation, what this world needs right now is people, the prophets who are sent from God. That's who the church is supposed to be with a word from God, not saying something bananas, agreeing with everybody who doesn't even have the spirit of God. I was talking to a friend earlier this week, and, you know, he was just relaying to me very intimately, very authentically about some fears that he'd been wrestling with about COVID-19. And I just got to share with him, you know, I just felt like the Lord was, was laying this word on my heart. It's from 1 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Meaning the question is not what could possibly happen, but how does God want me to respond? And that comes through the spirit of God giving us the word of God. And God has already told us how to behave in this situation. However you behave, yes, things really are hard that really do go bad that happen. But God has still said, my people have not been given a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Man, they're ready to be on the offensive with fearlessness, with love, with spiritual aggressiveness to bring the truth of the gospel to a lost and hurting world. Of course, we take action on what we already know for sure is God, God's word. That means everything that we find in this book, all right? It's like, hey man, love everyone always. Um, all the things that you're supposed to do, love your neighbor as yourself. You don't need like a special word. That's not special direction. That's just what God wants all of us to do. But there's another category where we have to actively pray while we wait for things to boil, so to speak. Before microwaves, you had to wait for most things to cook before you ate them. And in a similar way, there are things that just take a long time to really access God's heart and God's power about it. This is what it means to wait on the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his followers to wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit before they tried to do very much. Now, this is important advice. Far too often, people plunge ahead, assuming that if they know a little bit about Jesus and about God's kingdom, they can just go off in whatever way comes to them. And Luke would tell us to wait to pray for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, to find our calling and our energy from the strength of our connection to Him. Some of you know I used to be an actor in my undergrad days. Here's the thing. When you're an actor, it's the director that gives everyone their roles. He, 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 he or she comes along and they're like, this is what I want you to do. The director arranges what's on the stage, right? Like they design the set, or at least they approve it. They say, this is what's going to be here. Then they tell you you're blocking. They say, this is where you're going to go. No, you're not going to walk that way. You're going to walk this way and talk to that person. And when you're on stage, they can say, stop, let's try another way because that isn't right. You're entering too early or you, you came out too, you know, strangely with your tone there or whatever. This isn't always separate from action, but often before bigger decisions or larger level initiatives, we need to take direction from the director. It's over time, actively, patiently waiting that we gain a greater sense of what the director wants us to do. We get a greater sense of closeness to him. Over time, we grow in faith 
in our spiritual giftedness and the kinds of things God would want us to do. Over time, as we, we get a sense from him, stay away from these kinds of things. This wages war against what I'm trying to do in you. A few things we've had to wait for, the specific empowering of God for in, in at least my personal life is, you know, I remember when God called us to start a church in 2009. Now, to be honest, for 10 years before that, I'd been waiting for that thing to boil. It was on my heart, but it wasn't time. And so we just sit there, my wife and I would pray, and sometimes like, God, I just don't understand why you even laying this on our hearts if it's not time, but it wasn't time. And then the moment came, there was a release. You need to go do this now, or you're disobeying. But if I would have tried any other time than that, my friends, the power wouldn't have been there. Now the power was there. Often, now this is important, God often teaches us because we get it wrong. We step out and we get into the flesh and you're gonna get it wrong. You're gonna get in the flesh sometimes. And that's okay, that's how we get trained. That's how we learn our blocking. That's how we learn our lines. But we've gotta have this understanding of just because I can imagine it, just because I've, you know, I've sensed it in some way or I think maybe it's a good creative idea, God does want us to have a bent toward action, but he doesn't want us to be careless and just step out and do anything that occurs to us. Number four, the confusion. Let's pick it up in verse six. So when they'd come together, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority. He's like, the father knows you don't need to know. Now, any parent knows this. You know what it's like to have a kid questioning in the backseat of the car. Are we there yet when you're on a long trip? The kid doesn't know what is around her. She doesn't know where you are in the journey. Hey, like how are we progressing through this thing? How are we relating to the end here? Are we close? Is the destination nearby? We found in the Carter family, one of the best things to do in moments like that is to turn on a movie. When we turn on a movie, the child gets engrossed in the movie and doesn't so much worry about the timetable that we're on. They leave that to the parent to get us where we're going at the right time with the right stuff and everything's going to be okay. I really think God wants us to be like that sometimes. He's like, hey man, the father knows what's supposed to happen when. What I'd rather have you focused on is the play that you're in. I'd rather you be the actor on the stage doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing, bringing the mission and the power of the Holy Spirit and worry less about the things that really aren't in your control anyway. Honestly, my friend, this is where folks often get off track, especially those who have a more cerebral way of approaching things. I really believe Jesus wants us to not get distracted by deciphering the times. Jesus essentially is saying, hey man, don't concern yourself with that. Forget about timetables. Being concerned with that is a distraction. It can put you in a captain's chair in your mind and make you really more responsive to your own wisdom. Even if you knew the times, you'd respond according to human wisdom, which would only hurt the cause. See, a deciphering mindset can turn folks into thinkers but not actors, and that's a real difficulty for some. See, the kingdom is for people not who want to solve a puzzle, but for people who want to bring Jesus glory by doing what he's commanded. Okay, and this is kind of weird because God really does reveal mysteries to us, but the danger is, hey man, if I'm just sitting here theorizing, 
but not witnessing, I'm really getting the point wrong. So man, think, but avoid a deciphering heart that thinks you have to figure it out. Hey, my friend, I, I love you. I mean this sweetly. You don't have the hardware to figure it all out. People for centuries before you and I have been trying to figure it out and they haven't. And that's because Jesus said, you're not going to be able to figure it out. Leave that to the one who created heaven and earth. He says, hey man, I'm not telling you when I'm going to do the ultimate vision, but I will tell you what you need. And what you need is the Holy Spirit to do what I've called you to do next. Can I admonish you for a minute? Hey man, be informed, but avoid a deciphering heart. Stay focused on the mission and the mission isn't figuring everything out. So what is it then? All right, in number five, the mission. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Somebody say witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. That little end there is going to be the outline of the book of Acts. That's where we're all going. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. You guys go ahead and do this. Um, but it's important to know Jesus is putting it on us now. Jesus' earthly ministry was over. But now he said, my kingdom's going to break out through my people. And he says, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to do it. Why do we need the special empowering of the Holy Spirit? What's all this been about? To be his witnesses. A witness, you guys know this, is someone who tells others about the central event, though they themselves are not the central event or the central character. And it's important to understand what a witness was to those first believers. See, in the world of the first century, when someone was enthroned as king, that was a new authority that was going to take effect, and heralds would be sent going throughout the nation or the territory in question with the news, hey, we have a new king! And it was always proclaimed as good news because everybody knew that in the ancient world, unlike in the modern world, everybody knew that anarchy is actually always worse than any authorized government. Even if it's not even that great a government, it's still better than anarchy. Governance may be bad, but chaos is worse. So the heralds, these messengers, would go off as far as that kingdom reached and announce, hey, Claudius or Nero or whoever is now the rightful king. And by the way, we're demanding glad allegiance from you. And you're supposed to be grateful even if you don't, um, even if you don't feel that way. They're saying you better be grateful to your new king. And my friends, in a sense, that's what you and I have been charged with doing. What is a witness to announce when we are a subject of the kingdom? Jesus' witnesses were to announce two things. First, what Jesus had achieved at his first coming and to summon people to repent and believe in preparation for his second coming. Let me say it a different way. Jesus, number one, solved your personal sin problem. That's what you and I are witnessing to everybody. Hey, hey y'all, we're the heralds. Jesus solves your personal sin problem. You have a personal sin problem. The only one who can solve it is Jesus as rightful king. He's done this for you and he's actually got a claim on your allegiance. Here's the second thing that we're claiming. Jesus is also awesome. Jesus will return to solve the consequences of everyone's sin. So all the stuff, all the bad stuff, all the horrific results of sin, it's not only good news, hey, Jesus solves your sin problem, but someday 
Jesus is going to return physically and he's going to wrap up all evil in his justice and life and be like, we're done. Now I'm setting things right. That is what we are heralding. That's what we're witnesses of. Jesus solved our personal sin problem. Jesus will solve our corporate sin problem. So what does this mean the church should be doing? We can't call it a comeback because we were supposed to be doing it the whole time. But here's what it is. Witness in the power of the Spirit, that number one, Jesus solves your sin problem, and number two, Jesus will return to solve the consequences of everyone's sin. The plan requires a few things. We need to admit and be desperate for the filling of the Holy Spirit because we do not work as a power tool if we don't have power. To do that, we need to regularly wait for fresh empowerments from God. We need to seek them. We need to wait for them. And then we need to act on them when the Lord is coming upon us in power to go do it. And sometimes that's just by faith. You just believe that he is. And then finally, we need to be less concerned about deciphering God's plan and more about giving ourselves back to being that witness. My friends, that is what this series is about. That is what we're going to dissect in the book of Acts. And that is why we're not going to call it a comeback because it's what we were supposed to be doing the whole time. Let's pray. Hey, Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that you left instructions specifically of what it is we're supposed to be doing and how it is we're supposed to be doing it. Lord, we just want to admit right now, let's do it together right now through the screen. Together, Father, we pray for a fresh baptism of power. We pray a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. God, we just apologize for every time we only did it halfway. We may even had a good human plan, but that was only half the story. We didn't get God's power. We didn't go to you for the filling that was necessary. We didn't come to you for purification. We didn't come to you for wisdom. We didn't come to you for what you wanted to say. Lord, we turn all of ourselves and all of your church over to you again. And we say, God, would you live in this again? Lord, would you bring your kingdom in fullness in partnership with the disciples that you've put on this planet right now? God, may this thing spread like wildfire. May the kingdom agenda of Jesus himself come to pass through your willing vessels. And Lord, where we're not willing, please make us willing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button and take a screenshot and then share it on social media or your social stories. Hey, whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Thanks for listening.